0: It's Sarah and Laura from the Clear Eyes Full Shells book blog, and today we are talking about derivative fiction as far as retellings and issues with fan fiction and where In- the line goes. And sort of
1: the inspired by concept. Yes.
0: And so I am Laura. And I am Sarah. Yeah, so...
1: So so you can... We've heard that we might sound a little too similar. Yeah, and that
0: we laugh too much the same or something, so... So we're trying to make sure you know who we are. Yeah, and we'll work (laughs) on that. Maybe we'll try to come up with different laughs so that you guys can identify I, I actually, us a little we bit more doing easily.
1: doing strange accents. Yeah, I think but, that'd be
0: really too hard in the course of the conversation, though. Well, and
1: I suck at that kind of thing. Yeah, to be honest. I don't have like a performing arts background. Yeah, so it could just get awkward for everyone, and we don't want
0: that. Yeah, it wouldn't really work out. I don't no, think. Yeah. So. I, I
1: really, I thought about a like really affected posh accent, but <laughs> you know, I couldn't keep that up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this topic was um had its origins when we were having a discussion. You had not heard about the controversy around Cassandra Clare and her first series right. of Royal instruments origins in the fanfiction community.
0: Right. Like uh Janina from Goodreads was in town. Hi Janina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was in town, and so we were talking about this, because I have not read any Cassandra Clare. I do follow her on Tumblr, but I haven't actually read I any actually of her books. I actually
1: very much enjoy her Tumblr, yes, to be honest. Yes, I do she too, which is why concerns. I follow her. Yeah, she writes a lot of interesting things about... Sort of being an author and the author reader relationship and the yeah. relationship to other authors and all of that stuff. And I, I, bullying, she's written some yeah. very interesting things about that. So I enjoy her Tumblr as well.
0: Yeah, so I guess there's been a lot of controversy about the origin of her books uh, yeah. and how she originated as a fan fiction author
1: and Harry so Potter I, fan fiction. And right? what? It was Harry Potter fan yes. fiction. Yes. Right? And I have read, I read the first three books in her Mortal Instruments series and had one of those. These like moments where I was like, Why am I still reading this series? I'm not enjoying it. Like I am not the audience for these books, and that's totally okay. And I get why like teens love her books. Like Mm -hmm. she is like a rock star to teens and I totally get why.
0: But But, that that series and I
1: haven't tried her steampunk series, which sounds actually kind of intriguing, but Mm -hmm. They're really long books, and I just can't. I just have
0: so much on my to-read list right now that I just don't, it's not something I can make a priority right now. But I am very interested in the issue where she has some major, major haters out there, apparently. Yes,
1: this is
0: true. And I would, I'm really interested in the issue of where the line is between where it's Okay to make money off of a kind of retelling or not?
1: Exactly. You know, yeah. I, I think mean,
0: some people feel like she should not
1: be allowed to the roots of her books, and I and this is where I think we have a bit of ignorance because neither one yeah. of us is involved in fan fiction. Yeah, and we're not and,
0: legal experts either. And well, also, I mean, the reality
1: is we're also a bit older than sort of people who would have been involved in. Because fan fiction is very much like as a big an thing, internet it's, thing. It's an internet thing, and since like when we were say teens, the internet wasn't really something that was yeah. big.
0: But it does and seem like fan fiction has kind of existed.
1: I think it's existed for a long time. A long time. time in terms yeah. of the community nature of yeah. it, yeah, that's really you know the internet has been. I mean, it's the place where people obviously can read and consume and connect with fan fiction, and it's. I think because we're just a smidge older than grew up with. Like, if they read Harry Potter and loved it, they could, you know, Google Harry Potter stories and find a whole fan fiction community around Harry Potter stories. And, like, that's just, you know, if you're in your 20s, you grew up with that. And if you're in your 30s, you didn't.
0: And I think it's cool that these books generate a community that it's just like we want more so badly that we're gonna write about it we're gonna make cool our story. although I am I have you to know. say I did
1: recently discover that there's such a thing as Friday Night Lights fan fiction and I'm and pretty upset about some like of <laughs> just look all I was looking for was an animated gif <laughs> and I went down this rabbit hole and I did not enjoy that rabbit hole I was pretty upset
0: yeah, so. I mean, but I think it's with any kind of writing where there are categories and genres that of fan fiction that do not interest me. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it that way. I don't really know what else like, and it, I'm no judgment, but like it's just like reading a book. There are certain books that I'm just not that interested in.
1: So you aren't interested in the Julie Taylor as a were panther, no, a bisexual were panther, no, fan fiction that's apparently quite popular. Are there were
0: lions too? So that there can I be know. lions I mean, and panthers. For, I'm
1: gonna be really honest. <laughs> I didn't. I saw that that was a thing, and I didn't click on anything because I just didn't feel comfortable with that, and I. <laughs> yeah. I'm also not comfortable. This is a huge. We're so, we're so tangential. My apologies. I also am pretty upset to discover that there's a lot of um, Eric and Tammy FNL fanfiction where Tammy loses her job in Philadelphia and they have to move back to Dylan. Yeah, but and you can't really, be that
0: surprised about that. That really
1: upset me, though. That was like her big dream. And like people are like writing fanfiction, like ruining Tammy's dream. That's just yeah, so jerky.
0: It is. Like
1: that's not honoring Tammy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think the least they could do is make it her choice to go back to Dylan, right?
1: Or like she becomes like the chancellor of UT Austin or something. Yeah, right? like, oh,
0: go Tammy. Like, this like
1: Tammy failing thing, I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, just throw respect it out there. the
0: awesomeness of Tammy Taylor, right. people. Let's try to do that, okay?
1: <laughs> okay, y'all. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah <sorry guys. laughs> I'm really upset about this. I wish I didn't know this. You know, things you can't unknow. Sorry about that little tangent.
0: We always have to mention Friday Night Lights. Sorry, it's relevant to like everything in our lives. So,
1: I'm always one of the things. My husband is really wonderful. One of the things we watch Friday Night Lights together through you know all the seasons. And one of the things I really appreciate about him is I can randomly quote things from Friday Night Lights, and he doesn't even blink because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. (sighs) It's really handy. He's just like, yeah. (laughs) i agree (laughs) he doesn't even ask me what i'm talking about (laughs) But, but you started reading a lot about retellings and found some interesting discussions
0: yeah um and there are some authors out there who do a lot of retellings like is it diane or diana Diane Peterfreund. Diane Peter uh, so she wrote For Darkness Shows the Stars, which is a retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion. And then she I is, loved that
1: book. That FYI. book is
0: excellent. And she's also writing another book that is the retelling.
1: Across, across the Star Swept Seas, which is in that same world as For Darkness Shows the Stars. There's a Scarlet Pimpernel. Retelling, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah,
0: I'm actually not familiar with that, so but I'm going to try to familiarize myself with that. Um, so there's a lot of issues that go along with, you know, beyond the legal things or the ethical things of when it's okay to do a retelling and when not and, you know, things like that. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. And... I guess there is some controversy over whether or not that book is a retelling of Jane Eyre.
1: I thought this was so interesting because I've never made the I'd never ever made that connection. But I can see the argument. Like I don't know if I agree mm-hmm. or not, because we don't really know there's no way of knowing a dead person's intent. Right. But it's a really interesting discussion.
0: But a lot of the issues with um retellings, I think, are whether or not the book is the copyright is in force or not. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca having been written about a century after Jane Eyre was written, I think. The early around Yeah, yeah. about a century, so most likely the copyright was not in effect anyways. Right. But I mean that's people make remakes and of movies within like a decade now. (laughs) So I mean like I feel like that is plenty of time. (laughs) So Jane Eyre is such
1: a like it's just sort of a, like a foundational story in a yes. lot of ways, and I, I think it really,
0: created a lot of the gothic, Victorian type romantic story. norms. And you start
1: if you sort of do start thinking about the genealogy of like a lot of different books, like yeah, you can trace it back to
0: Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre.
1: Like that that type of story has it's you know almost you know a subgenre of its own, and I think that's really. Interesting and yeah. like kind of like a thing to nerd out about. I bet a lot of smart people have written some great like PhD dissertations about this particular subject.
0: Most likely. But <laughs> I, I probably won't be reading all of those. But the thing is is that I love Rebecca and I actually like that book more than I like Jane Eyre and now I'm just like oh my god should I not because is it a retelling and should I not like a retelling as much as I like the original is that okay you know is oh, that I'll, a valid I'd like for
1: a darkness just to start I mean, more than Persuasion, <laughs> if that's like yeah. me feel any better <laughs> I mean Persuasion is like the one Jane Austen book I actually enjoyed quite a bit a I fan actually
0: fan haven't read that, that one so,
1: um, but I enjoyed *For Darkness* shows the stars a lot more because I, thought, it I was, thought
0: that book was brilliant.
1: I did too. I thought
0: that I was. really liked the world that she created and how she was able to establish the story in this dystopia. The, I was really
1: well, and the way she created the backstory was yeah. so interesting because I I've been having a lot of issues with like badly created backstories lately. And it's just, I think, become a mild obsession in the way. It really, I mean, you know how that, like, you start to notice something, and you notice it, like, every time, Mm -hmm. and it becomes frustrating, and she created such a backstory in such an interesting way that, in that world, that really just fascinated me.
0: Yeah, and she really did create this own world, and I do feel like when it comes to retellings and... Whether or not they're quote unquote valid, I'm not judging. It's uh, I don't really know what other word to use at the moment, but a lot of I think a lot of authors who do retellings feel like when they create this whole world around their retelling, then it is an original it's story, original even though it is inspired by this other story.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is kind of an aside, but I um, follow um, Tumblr New Leaf Literary, which I mm-hmm. really highly recommend following their Tumblr if you're interested in the way the publishing world works, because people do a lot of interesting um I think there's like pictures of the back of our heads on there their is, Tumblr. There is pictures of the back of our heads on the Tumblr. Um, but what I really like, they do these um, anonymous q and QAs from aspiring authors. Mm-hmm. And um, just about the business of publishing. And a recent question just a couple days ago was someone who had written a retelling or was in the process of writing a retelling and asked about the market for a retelling, YA retellings in particular. And I think it was jo- Joanna who responded, who's the lead there, and said that it's like there are so many that it's really, really hard to say. It's not as hard to sell a retelling as a dystopian. But it's pretty hard to sell a retelling just because there's so many out there. So, for But they it,
0: still seem really popular. Yeah, and that they're
1: popular, but they're also equally popular for writers. Mm-hmm. And so it is not an easy sell. Even it's not it's easy popular, to break
0: into that market. Yeah, even, though, okay.
1: even though they're popular among readers, they're, still, they're really hard to sell just because there's so many people who are writing them. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was kind of an interesting... Uh, because, I mean, I sort of didn't realize they were as popular as they are, I guess. But I think there is an attraction to, um, I don't know, taking the familiar and having them sort of, like, do, like, I know what Kind of
0: subverting it, yeah, or... subverting it, or, like, the
1: sort of what if, or... Making
0: it more relevant yeah. to our times and our technology. Or, yeah, like, for
1: Darkness Shows the Stars, she used a lot of the store, like, the way the structure of Persuasion is, the letters and that sort of thing, and but it was so unique. And like that yeah. was part of why that book was so interesting because it was using something that like felt familiar but was completely different than what I had experienced the first time I encountered that type of story. Yeah. And I really
0: loved how she... Because even though I haven't read Persuasion, but I've read about it and I mm-hmm. know the story, um, Jane Austen, a lot of her books are critiques on social yeah. and economic things. And I really like how... Uh, the author of For Darkness Shows the Stars, was able to create this world to establish why that would be an issue in this future world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, in this dystopia, and yeah. why there would be an issue of the socioeconomics. S- the social critique I, yeah. was intact,
1: and I thought that was really... She kept the elements intact that made Persuasion a really memorable and unique story. And it was mm-hmm. Persuasion was also Jane Austen's last book, I believe.
0: And I'm not sure about
1: that. I'm pretty sure it was, and so there is a different the point of view on persuasion feels a little different, mm-hmm. and it feels actually a little more um, uh, heightened in terms of its critique. I mean, it's, it's been a long time. Since yeah, like I read Persuasion in college in like a intro women's lit class, and that was, so that would have been like my freshman year in college. Yeah, so it was like 1996 probably. And so it's been a long time, but I remember when we discussed that book and comparing it because everyone had read Pride and Prejudice because like I don't think you can go to school in America and not <laughs> have no sense read of Pride and Prejudice. Anyway, and so I um and I just remember that her that Persuasion was much more of a not heavy handed but more um, her social critique was more obvious mm-hmm. because at that point like Jane Austen like kind of. Didn't, didn't care if people like were offended by her work. Mm-hmm. Like, she used to try to be a little sneakier with her social critique. So uh, I thought it was important that Diana, Diane, Diane Peter Freund kept that intact if her darkness shows the stars.
0: Yeah. So, But with retellings and stuff, is, how, is it... When you, like, if she were to not have as much of that social critique in it, would that mean that she was not honoring the source I, material? I mean, I you know, I just like, think these are interesting really questions. Really I don't have the answers, and you know. I don't
1: have the answers either, but I do feel like because that was such an important part of persuasion, yeah. so in that particular work, that's really important. Right. Um, you know, if in the, um, I mean, I know there's a popular retelling, what is it, Tiger Lily? That takes on Tinkerbell.
0: Yeah, and I've been meaning to read that book and I have not I yet. Have so. too.
1: And it's got such an interesting cover too. Mm-hmm. Is that one of my favorites actually? It's so weird. Is it like it's is pretty. It a flower? Is it a yeah. fairy? Is it like something squished up? That was <laughs> no, real Okay, so we didn't have any coffee in my house this morning. So I'm just running on a single coffee and that's kind of brutal for me. Um sorry, it's such a squished up fairy. So awful. It kind of looks like a squished up fairy, though. It kind of does. And, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> Which could be relevant to the book. I don't, the, I, I don't know. It, I haven't read it yet. I mean,
1: that's really taking like a character mm-hmm. and writing a new story for the character because it's about Tinkerbell.
0: Which is really similar to what fan fiction does, Which is right? A little different
1: than what fan fiction is does. Isn't that about
0: what a lot of fan fiction yes. is about? Well, that's what
1: Fifty Shades of Grey did. It took Edward and Bella from Twilight and rewrote the characters.
0: Yeah, or it kind of creates alternate paths for these, for these characters. You know, being like, I didn't really like what happened to this character, so I'm going to change it, you know, yeah. <laughs> and create this alternate timeline for this person and create kinda my like own fringe. story. So I still look Okay, everybody, if you don't know about... This about Sarah is that everything is relevant to Friday Night Lights or Joshua Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to be talking a lot about no, Dawson's Creek I and love, Fringe no, I just, and Mighty Ducks, I just, which I love the Mighty Ducks. Everyone, I've seen oh all God. three movie movies, and the third one was bad, but I still like them. Put that out I can't there. I heard, like, everything to Friday Night Lights or
1: Joshua Jackson. I. That's embarrassing. Why? I Jackson is hot. What's the problem? Well, he was, like, the first season of Dawson's Creek. Did you ever think he would grow up to look the way he does and sort of have that, like, charismatic swagger. swagger thing he's got going on? No, I didn't. Well, I first saw him in the Mighty Dots, and I was like, oh, he's so cute, you know? I mean, I just remember, what, I mean, I was in college when Dawson's Creek started, and I remember thinking he was kind of dorky, and then, like, all of a sudden, he wasn't dorky anymore, and I don't know when that happened, like... That happened in, like, season two of Dawson's Creek. But, I mean, still, now, as he's a grown-up, because I think he and I are the same age. Yeah. He's, like, close. actually gotten significantly more attractive. But I'm not, like, obsessed with Joshua Jackson. It's just, I really liked French. I can relate a lot of things to French, because that show was so bizarre. Yes,
0: but you do like Joshua Jackson a lot. I do like Joshua Jackson. Just admit it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> Away. Um actually it's funny, in the first season of Fringe, he basically plays Casey Witter, and then in the next season he's a totally different character.
0: Oh. I will have to watch Fringe and let you know how I feel about that. Yeah. So, anyways, alternate futures <laughs> and alternate character storylines. <laughs> Apparently Fringe has them. It I has don't many know. Of them. And I,
1: <laughs> my point was before you so rudely <laughs> made fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> was that I really am attracted to these sort of like alternate because French does that, like, the whole yeah. show is about all these alternate possibilities and alternate universes and alternate timelines, and I find that those questions really interesting. Yeah, or just the right? idea of
0: like a parallel dimension. Yeah, like all that. I've always stuff. found that kind of idea really fascinating. Yeah,
1: and like the sort of like what if persuasion happened in a you know futuristic society? What yeah. would that society look like? How would these characters interact with each other? What how yeah. would this story unfold? Is this like a universal story and so the path would be the same, or would something completely different happen? And I think those are really interesting questions. Mm-hmm. And it's like why, you know, for our book club we read When You Were Mine by Rebecca Searle.
0: Yeah.
1: And I thought she that book has been panned by a lot of people, but I thought she did some really interesting things for asking the and asking the like what would have happened in Romeo and Juliet to Rosalind, which is who Romeo dumps to be with Juliet. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. She said it in a modern, you know, time setting. In California. California. Very rich town. Beverly Hills type setting. Yeah. And I thought that was... I I thought she did some really interesting stuff with playing with those what-if questions about Shakespeare. And, um... Like how,
0: if Shakespeare lived in our time, how would he write this story?
1: Yeah. And then, like, what would, you know... How would we, as, like, how would people observing the situation with Romeo and Juliet interpret what they were doing and their behavior? And, oh, I forgot to silence my phone. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, all of that, that type of thing. I thought those were really interesting questions that she asked. I know a lot of people didn't like that book, but I, you know, and I guess because, like... I
0: mean... do people not like that book because they don't like
1: retellings? Or um, I don't really
0: know what the consensus on that is. I think a lot of the is.
1: On, I think people, this could actually go back to our podcast about class. Um, <laughs> people didn't like the the sort of setting of the um, upper-class Californian school. Um, and I think people thought um, Rosalind was kind of a jerk.
0: I didn't feel that way.
1: I mean, I thought she was kind of like a typical teen. I mean, yeah. all teens can be kind of jerky when bad things happen to them because, you know. That's. that's I mean, I, the, that's kind of the crappy thing of being a teenager is things that sucks I really suck. I was an asshole when
0: I was a teenager. So so I will be straight I, up about I think that, was, you know. <laughs> I think it was a
1: really well done retelling and sort of asking these questions about like what, um, what else would have happened to. What? What? How would other people have been seeing what happened between Romeo and Juliet? Because yeah. the Shakespearean play we see is really the perspective of this yeah,
0: story.
1: and um, it's I I like those sort of twisty things. When I I I actually enjoyed Jane by April Lindner, which I, you haven't read, but um, it was actually a very faithful Jane Eyre retelling, and it was almost so faithful it kind of made me squirm a little bit because it was basically just a modernized version. Yeah, and, and there's certainly
0: things that would make you squirm in Jane Eyre. Uh, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and um one of the um uh and like their I mean the the big reveal in Jane Eyre is the same effectively as in Jane by April Lindner. Mm-hmm. And it feels much more screwed up because of the historical context. Yeah. Isn't there. <laughs> And, um, like, just the relationship feels much more screwed up, way more screwed up and way more inappropriate. And, yeah, it's sort of like she does some kind of tricky things to make you still root for them.
0: Yeah. And it just, when you try to translate certain things and do them so faithfully, when there are just things that were okay historically that are not so okay today. Yeah. Um. So how does that work when you try to translate it so faithfully into a modern retelling? You know, like people in biblical times got married when they were 13. Yeah. And you know, that's not, not really something great, we do now, you
1: yeah. know. <laughs> and that was one of, I mean, that was one of why I, I liked, I think I gave Jane by April a four stars on Goodreads, and I, like, I always waffle, I waffle a lot between the three and four star, and I can't decide, I usually round up.
0: I yes. do that frequently. Um, that's a really tough, tough
1: It's a hard, because it's, like, I feel like if I wanted to say, like, this is something that's worth reading, because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and I found it incredibly readable. Um, But there were some things where I was like, "Oh, oh, this is making me really uncomfortable." But like, then again, if she's making me really uncomfortable, like I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But that's almost the whole was, point of like, the, gothic story, story. the gothic story. And it's you know, I read. Um, oh, bloody hell! Uh, <laughs> sorry.
0: that you just use like a British like
1: I actually use bloody hell a lot like when I write emails I think if this call, is like
0: living in Ireland and influence. It's one of those things yeah. that
1: stuck with me like bloody hell and I try to not say it to Americans very often because they tend to think I'm like putting on airs which I find really amusing because it's in no way like any sort of like <laughs> upper crust type thing but I think because Americans are kind of dumb about it. Oh my gosh she's using like a British like, Oh it's British it must be fancy. Fancy and snobby. <laughs> and it's like no 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 poor little Americans. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <little cultural laughs> It's not fancy. It's actually kind of a rude saying. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Strands of Bronze and Gold. Haven't read it. Which is by Jane Nickerson. And um I didn't I did not finish that book, but it's a Bluebeard retelling, and it's set in the American South. Mm-hmm. Um pre-Civil War. And I've um, heard mixed things about that one. And I think those mixed commas are very deserved. The writing is very appealing, like it's very attractive. Writing it actually, a lot of people compared it to Maggie Stiefvater, and I think that's not a good comparison. Who I would re- compare it to is um, Brenna Yovanov. Mm-hmm. Her style, which is um, very word laden and atmospheric. Which, I like her writing. A yes, which I like. I've only read one of her books, and I liked nice. it. Yeah, I find her storytelling a bit not is enjoyable, and I think I need to read another book by her.
0: I think so, too. And... Um, I need to read another one. The only one I've read is
1: I, I want to actually, yeah. the book um, that's the collection of short stories that um, uh, Maggie Stiefair, Brene Yovanov, and was Tessa... Gra- Grafton, I am not right? sure.
0: I'd have to look it up. Yeah, that Sorry. they did together because
1: <laughs> I think, actually, Brene Yovanov's style would translate really well to short stories. Yes. Um... But Strands of Bronze and Gold had a lot of that sort of laggy plot stuff that bothers me about Brené Yovaninoff's writing as mm-hmm. well. It's like, I like the words, but I'm not, the story isn't working, working for me. Yeah. Um, and, there were, and I didn't get to the point where there's some fairly problematic stuff that I've since read about, um, and I would recommend reading the book Smuggler's post about that particular book for some interesting um, thoughts on it. And I can't speak to that because I didn't read that far enough into, like, I read like two-thirds and I was just like, ugh, gotta Google the ending. But that's a Bluebeard retelling, and Bluebeard is a really disturbing fairy tale.
0: I don't know that fairy tale.
1: Yes. And Bluebeard keeps killing his wives. Oh. Yes. He's very, very, very he's a sociopath, basically, in this fairy tale. Very disturbing. Um, and I even though that was set in like The Civil War era? It still made me uncomfortable. That particular premise, like, I don't know. That's a really hard one to modernize and have be not... Like, I think you could actually write a pretty awesome, like, sort of creepy serial killer, like, straight Mm -hmm. contemporary crime fiction based on the Bluebeard
0: tale.
1: But, like, even, you know, set over 150 years ago i was really the premise was very hard for me to stomach because it's so creepy and it's so inappropriate at like far worse than any jane eyre retelling and the only Bluebeard because i think that's actually really interesting that fairy tale is really interesting yeah. and gross and disturbed
0: and which a lot of fairy tales are
1: they are um, but wrong <laughs> at courtney, their root they yes. are wrong <laughs> courtney who um is i think i've Figuring out is actually probably one of my favorite authors because he does a lot of really interesting stuff. He writes novels and verse, and he also writes, writes you know, just straight prose. But he did wrote lies, lies, knives, and girls in red dresses, which I recently read. Yeah, and it's a series of very short. It's short stories, very short stories, um, that are retellings of fairy tale, classic fairy tales. And he did a um, modernized Bluebeard that was really good and really freaking disturbing like there is yeah and it was it's only like four pages I'm long I'm cringing by it's the way it's only like four pages <laughs> long and it's really good and it's it's in um, it's in free verse and I highly recommend it oh I'll have but to it's read the that. only thing that like really I've seen do justice to the creepiness of the Bluebeard story yeah. But just certain things don't
0: translate. I think that's a hard one. Like, we read Ten by Gretchen McNeil, which is a retelling Mm -hmm. of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that was... I mean, there were some issues with the writing in that book.
0: Yeah, I mean, that book was fun, but it was just... When it translated into the modern era where you do teenagers doing vigilante justice, it It just made it very campy. I felt like, yeah, and
1: that was the way I felt with that book also was that when it was that story if you're going to translate and then there were none you need to acknowledge that is a really gruesome disturbing story yes and <laughs> while 10 was fairly gruesome it she held back on some of the most psychologically disturbing yeah. stuff particularly the ending yeah and i actually thought that did a real and that's where it's like are you paying service to the source material right or would it have been better off to write something completely fresh because I think maybe if that story had, because I kept, because I knew And and Then There Were None fairly well, um, I kept waiting for some of those really creepy moments in the source material and they were there. And And I think
0: And Then There Were None is also, it's more of an adult, psychological,
1: like an adult retelling of And Then There Were None.
0: Could be, could be outstanding. And terrifying. <laughs> yes. Um, especially
1: if some of the worst part, like, were, by worst, I mean, like, creepiest, grossest, most terrifying parts were, particularly the ending, were intact. Yeah. And that's where I felt like ten really faltered.
0: But yeah. it was still fun to read. It was totally fun to read. But it changed, I think, putting it into a modern-day setting with teenagers with teens, really kind of changed the feel of the story a if lot. If it
1: had been more faithful to and then there were none, it would have been much harder to market to the teen yeah, market. Yeah, exactly. It would exactly. have been really hard to get into libraries, really hard to get into school libraries, mm-hmm. really hard to, you know, appeal to a lot of the people who buy YA books... Because I know, you know, the the library and school market is huge. And if it had been really faithful, I think it would have had some real marketing challenges. Right. And it seemed like that was actually a pretty easy, you know, like team, sort of almost like Christopher Pike-ish. Yes. Uh, Which I have no problem with. Right. To be quite (laughs) honest, and I imagine... You know... I loved Christopher Pike. I loved Christopher I read, Pike like, all the
0: books when all. I was a teenager. We so. need to do our Christopher Pike
1: read-along. Yeah. We, we forgot do about Christopher that. Christopher
0: Pike read-along and then do a podcast about it. Yes. That oh, my God. Like that's such so
1: a good idea. <laughs> <That's too bad>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just...
0: Mark your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do <laughs> Christopher <that>. Pike podcast. <laughs> yes, that
1: should be. <laughs> that sounds like so We're going to holla
0: back to the 90s. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because we do have, um, what is it, was it Die Softly? Die Softly, yeah. Yes, we planned on doing a read-along on that one, and I'm excited. Um.
0: <laughs> and we've just gotten sidetracked by our other by books. By life and books yes. and all that. Yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, that was one of... Ten was an interesting attempt at retelling that I don't think was wholly successful. And I think that was kind of the... Because our book club... What was another one our book club read? Yeah. That was suggested by Lindsay, I think. Yeah. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. And um, I think all of us, kind of... I think almost all of us had read this the original. Yeah, it had and, been a
0: really long time since I read the original. I, so. I think
1: it's interesting that... I think all of us were kind of like... Uh, this wasn't really... It didn't do proper homage to the... Yeah. um, ...to the original story. And I think that's also, for me, I think that is kind of sort of a breaking point for when that type of story works or not, Mm is whether or not... Not necessarily the faithfulness to the source material, but the... sort of in somehow faithfulness to
0: the themes of the source Or
1: even the... Kind of the point the author was
0: trying to make in in, the first place. Yeah, like sort of an
1: acknowledgement of um, an intent and in some of those it sometimes feels like the thing that made the original thought-provoking or interesting or compelling in some way, if that's removed, that's when it feels like, well, what's the point of this being a retelling... Could this have been like the right. original story without those? And sometimes it's like, well, you could have just taken out the retelling elements, and it still could have been like, you know, an okay story. Or maybe mm-hmm. it could have been a better story because maybe the retelling felt forced or right. injected into the um, into the story sort of. Not as an afterthought because I don't like to presume what an author's thinking. But right, um, yeah, it's which is why the ones that have worked for me have felt really. Um, like the For Darkness shows the stars, and why I'm excited about the Scarlet Pimpernel retelling that the same author's doing. Um, you know, I haven't read Catherine, which is the next in April nurse series, um, but I'm curious what she does. Yeah, I haven't read either. That particular story, because that's the Wuthering, oh, Heights. Wuthering Heights one. Yeah. To be quite honest, I didn't like Wuthering Heights. <laughs> I, so I know the awful. story.
0: I don't I had I don't remember reading Wuthering Heights, but I, I think I tried and I didn't really get into it and I just kind of read a synopsis and it sounds really messed up.
1: Yeah, I just I just I don't even remember very much about it except for not liking it. We always had all the classics in our house because my mom taught high school English. And um so I read most of them just because they were around. Which sounds really lame, now saying it out loud. <laughs> but they were there. You know, like, I sort of read whatever happened to be around, so... Um, but it's also interesting, the ones that tend to be retold a lot, versus there's, I mean, so many classic stories that never get that type of treatment. Right. Um, which is also partly why I'm intrigued by the Tinkerbell one, because that's... Because you don't
0: really hear that much about that. Not that so. I can
1: think of. I mean, I think there should have some Peter Pan-type retellings that sort are of focused on Peter, particularly in the middle grade.
0: Peter or maybe Wendy.
1: Yeah, but Tinkerbell, I mean... I don't know. When I think of Tinkerbell actually it's, I think of the Julia Roberts Tinkerbell. I <laughs> like the Tinkerbell with the most personality. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that I can think of. Maybe I'm off. I'm not an expert on Tinkerbell lore, <laughs> but by any means, so you know, it's it's and the other one that we've thinking got because um, Pride and Prejudice gets retold a lot. Yeah, because you had mentioned like the Bridget Jones Diary is that actually does an, that actually does a good job of staying true, like. True to the themes of Pride and Prejudice. I think in a lot so, of ways. yeah. Um, which also is, again, Pride and Prejudice is almost, you know, like Jane Eyre has sort of reached that almost iconic. You had said it in such a good way a while back. I was like looking through my text messages to find what you had ter- coined the. Um, when they sort of trans.
0: They, yeah, like when does something. It's- stop being a retelling and start becoming a trope?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, and...
0: Um, because there are just certain stories that have been told so many times and in so many different ways, like, all over the world. Like, the Beauty
1: and the Beast story Yeah, is one so that is transcends. that a trope now,
0: or is that still... Or are, is everything kind of based on that story still a retelling, or is it just a trope now? Well,
1: and the Beauty and the Beast story also seems to transcend... Cultures too. Yeah. Like it's not solely isolated and
0: prejudice.
1: So. Yeah, and so you know, some of these that are really, really old, it seems like they are like almost like the original was also pulling from kind of a classic story. Like the source yeah. material was also pulling from a classic story, like Beauty and the Beast. That's something you see in all kinds of mythology, and, right? Um, but you know. everybody loves
0: the idea of, you know, the unattractive person still getting the love of their life kind People of story. It's story. a really attractive, you know. I mean, like the Princess and the Frog. Yeah, you know that's the Beauty and the bees <laughs> kind of story, story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah,
1: and, yeah. Actually, the person who wrote the um, oh. The Romeo Redeemed, and I can't remember the first book in the series. I don't It's know like a book. duology that's Romeo and Juliet retold. Oh, okay. It sounds pretty interesting, and I've been meaning to read it, and I just I haven't gotten around to it again because too many books. Sort of overwhelmed, actually, at the moment with reading. <laughs> 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 and um, But she has a Beauty and the Beast novel coming out that's oh, okay. really interesting because um, I know her books have been, people have generally really, really liked what she's done with Modernizing the classics. Yeah. And I think and that's like what a, makes
0: a good modernization, you know? Like, West Side Story is kind of, when it was written, was a modern was a retelling of Romeo, of Romeo and Juliet.
1: And that's a really good, like, it's screwed up. Yeah. But, I mean, it's got finger snapping. Yes. <laughs> I'm a terrible finger snapper. I mean.
0: <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I can't finger snap or whistle well.
1: I'm an okay whistler, but I'm a terrible, like, I. You know, we used to do a music class. We have to do these, like, finger-snapping exercises to good. learn about beat and rhythm. And, like, I swear, I... Yeah, I I'm understand. just like, I can clap really well. Know, Why can't like, I just do that, you know? <laughs> no, I used beat and rhythm less after, like, all my frustration with, like, failing at finger-snapping. Yeah. <sighs> Public education in this country is just a mess about finger-snapping. Um, <laughs> <sorry. laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think West Side Story makes a... Because it's re, it's... Both timeless, but it's also relevant to you know, when West Side. What was, what was going in that on that era, in that era era at that time. Yeah,
0: with the gangs and, you know, the Latinos versus the white gang the Puerto Rican gang. Yeah. And like the Jets and the Sharks and everything. I couldn't so. remember the
1: gang's name, so I'm really glad you thought of that because I was like, <laughs> I can't remember what those gangs were called.
0: Yeah. And I thought when Baz Luhrmann did his movie version of it the way he did it as far as
1: I love that, actually. Which I was really surprised at how much. Because I, I have a real... I don't like Romeo and Juliet very well. Yeah. I think it's a really dysfunctional story. It is a um, dysfunctional story. <laughs> it is. It's so, and it just kills me. I think it bothers me because I remember reading. It's it when always, I was 14 years old. Yeah. It was a freshman English assignment. And we had to read Romeo and Juliet, and all the girls were like, This is so romantic. This is so, and I can't, I, I mean, I'm not I'm going to spoil Romeo and Juliet for you guys. They die it's at the end. Called it a is tragedy. Not romantic. You know? It is a tragedy. And I remember my English teacher trying to explain, like, Valiantly, he made this valiant effort to like explain, like, actually, it's not romantic, it's a tragedy, and here's what a tragedy means. Like we're reading it so we understand like the classic yeah. tragedy. Like and what this sort And of the means. trope of a and romance so, like,
0: novel, Romeo and Juliet, does not romantic. <laughs> like and I just
1: remember that my English teacher spent all this time trying to explain that this was a tragedy, not a romance.
0: And it and, didn't like, really it work, just right? It didn't
1: work. And people just like it's in they loved each other so much it wasn't worth living. If they couldn't be together, and, like, it's just, like, no, that is a bad thing. <laughs> and I just, I just remember, I mean, my poor English teacher. I actually feel bad for him now. That um, it was just, and that's why I sort of have this hatred of Romeo and Juliet, is that it's still, like, and you see it, like, people who should know better write about Romeo and Juliet, and they, like, talk about it as, like, this epic romance. Yes.
0: Yeah. But I thought that that's why when you were mine, kind of, did, did a good job the in finger that, that the dysfunction of it all. Yeah.
1: It, I mean, the way it was,
0: just from uh, Rosalind's point of view and she's just like, "Really? We've been friends for years and gonna, you're going to now you
1: you're going to go down this path?" Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah, very it did a really good job of pointing out the unhealthiness of that story. It was, did not romanticize it at all. Right. And um, though I have still seen people refer when they talk about when you remind about the romantic nature of Romeo and Juliet. It's like, it's not romantic. We're it's just horrible.
0: not going to be able to convince people otherwise. So we're just going to have to give it up.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I want people to understand that that relationship is not healthy. And it's also, you know, was like... Written a zillion years ago, yeah, so, but it was also
0: written as a tragedy. a tragedy,
1: like it was. It's never, called Romeo
0: and Juliet. A tragedy. A tragedy.
1: So, anyway. not a comedy. <laughs> it's a really interesting retelling coming out. Um, that uh, I really you know, interested in. I mean, in you know the character of Ophelia and Hamlet. Mm-hmm. You know the mad Ophelia because you know Shakespeare didn't like women very well, and so he would you know I mean he always had this, like sort of like crazy dysfunctional female characters yeah i mean he
0: did like that was just, But he had a lot of male dysfunctional oh, characters. oh yeah i know also. there was always <laughs> a,
1: like crazy woman and um there's i just got a galley of um and then i'm gonna have sandra who's also my mother uh uh-huh. <laughs> review um because she's obsessed with hamlet oh i didn't know that as a result yes it's and does it surprise you? No. Yeah. And um, she and I used to have these sort of debates about the character of Ophelia, and um, who's the, you know, the mad Ophelia, that's mm-hmm. what she was referred to. And there's a book coming out called um, A Wounded Name that is sort of a... Um, it's from Ophelia's perspective, but it's um, set in a boarding school... And there might be like some creepy boarding schools, which you know I am. I just like the boarding school book. I know a lot of people hate the boarding school book, but I like the boarding school book. I find them
0: entertaining. I do
1: too. And um, but there's like some creepy, ghosty things happening, and it's that sounds promising. Sounds like yeah, and it sounds like it's um, dealing with you know, is Ophelia crazy, or is she seeing something that other people are choosing not to see sort of Mm thing, which I thought was, I just thought the premise sounded really intriguing, so I'm looking forward to that particular um, retelling, and I haven't gotten a lot of other retellings on my radar, it sounds like, I mean, maybe aside from the Diana... I'm gonna I'm saying... From York, I mean, but sometimes,
0: sometimes songs, I feel but... like... Sometimes I don't even realize something at the retelling oh, sometimes I don't when know. I pick up the book, you know? Because I was just thinking, like... Love Notes from Vinegar House? That's almost like Jane Eyre-ish, too. Yeah, it's a, and it's got a when little... I, of, I mean, I was just thinking about all the stuff with the yeah, attic and the mystery totally of the attic, the woman in the Jane attic, Air. you know what I mean? So. It
1: totally has a Jane Eyre element to it. And but I,
0: really I didn't even mean. realize, I really enjoyed it, and I didn't even think about it until I just read it, or I just thought about it, it while does, we were just talking yeah, about it totally, this. Yeah, so. totally, it's
1: a good point, because it... Love Notes from Vinegar House, which is by Karen Taylor.
0: Taylor. I don't know how exactly yeah. I'll pronounce it, but um, she's no, Australian. She's
1: Australian, and that book is unfortunately not published in the United States, that I know of.
0: Not that I know of, but I think it could be. It I mean, like it, it would be really It seems like people YAA would really, here. really like it. It's um, a really good book.
1: Because it's a coastal gothic. It's funny. It's got, like, kind of a bit of a romance mm-hmm. to it. Not a lot. It's a mystery. I mean, it's it's very clever, um, but that definitely—I hadn't thought about that either. But it definitely has a Jane here. I mean, there's like a creepy attic.
0: Yeah. Like, I think
1: the creepy attic. is... There's like a fun. creepy attic and the <laughs>
0: housekeeper who knows more than, who what, knows what, she's more than what she's saying. Um, and, which is the case in Rebecca as well. Yeah, and actually so. I think
1: on the blurb for that book it does say something about, like, Rebecca meets Gossip Girl. And I didn't really understand the Gossip Girl comparison. That
0: does not make any but sense I to could, me at all. I could see the... Well, I mean, there were gossip. Like, she was trying to get away from the Facebook stuff,
1: Oh Yeah, guess. but that's it. <laughs> but the the Rebecca comparison, I think, is pretty valid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting... That's so. a point, Laura. You are very smart. Thanks. <laughs> I work really hard
0: at it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was funny. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, with the beyond the retellings, now we have this weird phenomenon of the pulled to publish fan fiction. Mm-hmm. So, I the pulled to public term is something I didn't. Um, I actually didn't know what that meant for a while because people tend to use the, an acronym. they like, it's like P2P, which I thought was person-to-person file sharing. That's yeah, that's what I sort of, that's, like, what, I mean, I, that's that. what I grew up so with. I was very confused for a while when like a number of like um, blogs that follow publishing and that sort of thing would like use this annotation like P2P. Fan fiction. I'm like, what is this? Like, I know they're not talking about file sharing. I know it's something else. It took me. It's so confusing. I
0: have and to look up a lot of things in the Urban Dictionary these days. I do too. Like, it's
1: making me feel. I don't know if it's making me feel.
0: Makes me feel old.
1: Or old. Like I feel I, old. <laughs> I just. I mean, I just. I can't speak in acronyms. Like I just. I will never be able to do that. But like, even when I use like like. Like, when I do use acronyms, it's... It's
0: more of a joke for me. It's
1: more done in a sarcastic way. Yeah. Like it's, it's a joke. Like, if I say OMG, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs>
0: like, yes. And we both did that yesterday did in our text messages. So. <laughs> so,
1: um, but it's just... I just don't have... I, I, my brain is not wired... Again, like, I didn't grow up with, like, a cell phone. <laughs> so... <laughs> I remember when I got my first cell phone, and I was, like, out of college... Um, so, but this pull-to-publish fanfiction thing is really, this is where, like, I start to, like, I don't know, like, I start to feel a little, like, squeaky about the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know what squeaky means. It just sounds good. Um, where, like, Fifty Shades of Grey is obviously, like, the big example, because that was Twilight fanfiction, and E.L. James took the characters of Edward and Bella. Wrote fan fanfiction. They were called, from what I understand, Edward and Bella when they were in... The fanfiction was called Master of the Universe. And then they were changed when they became Fifty Shades of Grey. And dear author did a really good post that basically analyzed the fan fiction and the published version. version of Fifty Shades next to each other. And they are basically unchanged except for the names. And, mm-hmm. like, a few tiny, like, tiny details so then I think they figured it was like ninety percent the same as the fan fiction. Yeah,
0: show. it was like high eighties or low. 90s. Yeah, yeah but very, very close. Very yeah.
1: close, and it's and I mean and that's where I start to feel like if you've taken someone's like if you've taken someone else's characters and then and are profiting and are profiting from them. Profiting from them that's where I start to feel.
0: And that seems I, to be the line where people draw where it's okay to publish. And, you know, yeah, I feel like that's, that's the line. I so like I feel like it. a lot of things people are like, okay, if it's out of copyright, then it's okay. Yeah. But, but I mean, then, and other people, like fans, seem to have very strong opinions yes. about this as well. And they're just like, you should not be profiting off of your fan, your published. Fan fiction stuff, and people seem to feel very strongly about yeah. this. And I and I
1: actually understand that feeling because mm-hmm. there is something that it's it, and it's again, it's one of those things where it's like not a legal thing. It's not
0: yeah. And I'm and not it, speaking to the legal no, things at all because I don't know anything about them. <laughs> icky. Yeah.
1: You know, and there's been a number. Twilight is. I, I saw this and I searched and searched it's and searched. Huge of novels that are published. That are twi- that have their origins on the Twilight fan fiction. Right. And some have been changed significantly to where you wouldn't recognize them. And some, it yeah. sounds like, are effectively quite unchanged. And there is something, I mean... So the
0: line just seems so blurry. Maybe because
1: Twilight is such a relatively new series. I mean, it's not that... If Twilight were, you know, 80 years old, mm-hmm. it would feel very differently. Because then it, I mean... You know, could theoretically be an iconic text. I <laughs> think <laughs> <laughs> I need to go take a shower now after saying that. Um, that's really different than these new works having fan fiction written about them and then yeah. the profit happening as a result. It's not
0: good yeah like, I, and there, I mean there are fans who have really big problems with it and there are authors who have problems with it. like some authors don't want fan fiction of their work out there and they will go to great lengths to stop it and other authors are okay with it so i guess it should just be on a case-by-case yeah. basis on whether or not the author that the material is based on cares or not because yeah, uh, some authors then, maybe they don't care and they're just like whatever you know yeah, i'm like, happy to have inspired you into writing something that is worthy of publication. And some authors are like, no. And that, I guess that should be their choice if yeah. somebody else profits I mean, off of this, the world that they've created. How does
1: Stephanie Meyer feel about Fifty Shades of Grey? Is I have one? no I am, idea.
0: I, I haven't heard anything about that. I
1: haven't heard I mean, I read Entertainment Weekly fairly, you know, consistently and have not yeah. seen anything about how she feels about that. Maybe that's one of the things you're not allowed to ask Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Um, but...
0: But just the world these days, the way that people interact with authors and, you know, which is yeah. a totally different podcast yeah, that, that we that's probably something. This, like, need to go into. Thing. I wrote
1: about this, and, like, I realized it needs to be cut into, like, three parts. <laughs> Seriously, it just it got ridiculous. Like, I took it... Like, I, it
0: is big, but it's good. I know, but Whoa. I expanded
1: it on my... It's on my computer at home, and oh. I, I need to cut it into, like, chunks because it's not readable at this point. It's, like, way too... It's, like... It's like 6,000 words or something insane yeah. at this point. It just, I need to get a handle on that.
0: Yeah, so I'm um, really curious as to how. Everybody else feels about this issue. Like, are you guys okay yeah, with retellings? Like, where do you draw the line where a retelling, where, like, telling a story again is okay, and when is it not okay, and why? I'm really curious about yeah, how people feel about this, because the line is very, very it's blurry. It's very, very
1: blurry. It's and
0: the blurry. authors themselves will say that it's very yeah, and blurry. I found a
1: really interesting thing when I was doing some research for this podcast um, that was about... Famous authors who write fan fiction is, like, part of their sort of, like, either for fun because they're really involved in, like, fan base, like, you know, in sort of the fandom community, mm-hmm. or because... I mean, and a lot they, of authors
0: have been published because of fan fiction, and now they do their, own their other and kind of channeled in, into other things, you um, know? So and, they're just like, I can't judge fan fiction because that's how I started writing. This is yeah. my inspiration. Like, Nate Cabot,
1: you know, who is quite famous, yeah used to write um, Star Wars fan fiction,
0: did she really? Yes. I would not have guessed that.
1: I would not have guessed that either. And I but actually, I love it. I actually <laughs> really am glad that I know that about Meg Cabot. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, Star Wars, I would have never guessed that. Um, but there's just a lot of interesting um yeah, and what was it? Oh, yeah, and S.E. Hinton, who wrote The Outsiders, writes, actively writes Supernatural, the TV show That fictions.
0: is fabulous.
1: Yeah, so I, mean, I think that's <laughs> interesting. I, I <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fabulous. Like, that was... There were a few others that I thought was... Um, like, Neil Gaiman is... Um, uh... Is a big fan of fan fiction, and he thinks it's pretty much fine as long as no one's making money off of it. Yeah, which I think is you know a reasonable enough approach. Um, but, um, Horses <laughs> Scott Card has written Old Testament fan fiction. Oh, yeah,
0: so I didn't realize that was a thing. I
1: apparently it is.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) so FYI,
0: uh... There There is biblical fan fiction, for those of you who are interested. Old Testament
1: fan fiction, which sounds pretty violent and...
0: Sounds pretty badass, if you ask me. uh, (laughs) If I remember the Old Testament correctly, and I think I do. (laughs) Yes, there's
1: a lot of... Yeah. Um... So, was that like
0: sacrilegious to just say badass and old testament together like that? Am I gonna go to hell? I am not an expert on that topic. Okay. Well, I'm sorry if I offended anybody by doing that because I didn't mean to. Um
1: I think you'll be alright. I think our I think our audience is understanding
0: that.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So I I did think that was actually a pretty interesting um uh bit of information about the authors who were write fan fiction, and um, R.J. Anderson who wrote, uh, I'm gonna forget what her books are because I haven't read them. They're books about fairies. I don't know her. Oh, she's quite popular. Anyway, she um, she has written extensively about, because she's still an active fan fiction writer. Oh, okay. Um, about sort of basically outing herself as being a. Um, she wrote a series of books about fairies that are pretty popular. Um, and just the, like, what fan fiction does for her writing is, like, sort of a practice. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, have you heard about the One Direction fan fiction that got pulled to publish? Like a teenager wrote fan fiction. Actually,
0: oh, I think I did
1: hear something about, about that briefly. The, the quote-unquote band, One Direction, <laughs> and got—I know—and got a not insignificant book deal based on her. She's sixteen, based on her One Direction fan fiction about a teen who has a love triangle with two of the boys from One Direction, and <laughs> yeah. And the best part is Penguin got the, bought her fanfiction and because they've been looking for someone to write a YA romance that had something to do with boy bands. And so basically, apparently what they've been trying to do is they, editor, acquisition editors, trawl the fanfiction sites looking for the types of books that they want to add to their list. And this fit one of their sort of checklists. Of That's pretty fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? And some of this stuff I think is really interesting. So
0: obviously, publishers are they're,
1: yeah, they're on board with fan fiction. Yeah. Are both looking. Um, I, I know that actually on the New Leaf Literary blog, they had talked about that recently about how one of their clients they um, sought out because her fan fiction they felt it was really good. Um, and then. Um, but I know a number of folks have been discovered through editors trawling through the fanfiction boards because they're looking for a specific yeah. thing to add to their list.
0: Yeah, but I'm assuming um, they have to be really careful that it's...
1: I would think that they need to be really careful. and For, like, legal
0: reasons. I would
1: think that's the case. I mean, there's one direction. Like, and, um, I mean, they have
0: to be different enough if it is based on something that is still under copyright, correct? I mean, so I what's mean, the line?
1: But, I You know. know? Like, I, really I think this know. is a really good question. I mean, it sounds like in the One Direction fan fiction, the main thing they're changing is the name of the band and the name of the boys. You know? But yeah. It, but it's had, like, 30,000 reads on the fan fiction board. Yeah. And so, I wonder how
0: One Direction feels about those. I don't you know. know. I haven't
1: seen an official statement from One Direction. Um... <laughs> But I have to say, I think that I can't our, believe they haven't made
0: this a priority for I the book say, world. I think
1: our boy bands, just looking at One Direction, our boy bands were a little more appealing than the boy bands of today, which look super dorky with all their fancy hair. I mean, just saying, you know.
0: I mean, what happened to the JT yeah, I and mean, St. Like, like, don't you guys remember that hair... That was not good. It was
1: not good. It was. It was not good. We may need to put a photo of J, JT. And I his think that is hair.
0: an excellent idea. Cause it was,
1: like super curly. Because he had don't, And like, then it just like, like bleach blonde. And then it was like he, it was, and like, parted in the middle. It was just. And it was all the gel. There was so much gel. Yeah, there were just
0: it's, so much to it that is.
1: It, it, it was just. They I mean, even wore those odd jumpsuits for a while. Those were pretty fan. Why didn't anyone write fan fiction about JT's weird bleached hair and jumpsuits? Had somebody done that? Did let us know in let the us comments know if if you you or someone you know wrote fan fiction or knows know? of it. You could yeah. link us to
0: it. That'd be awesome.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> so awful. we're awful, <laughs> but I would like to know if this exists.
0: But like JT fan
1: fiction. Hello. Not that we want to read it. <laughs>
0: We, we just want to know if it exists.
1: Exist. You know, this is because, I mean, I, as I discovered during some of my searching, there is some fan fiction that does not appeal to my personal taste. Um, yeah, but I'm apparently easily scandalized. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and the last thing that I had sort of, and I don't even know if you saw this thing that I added. To I the did, bottom. Okay. I thought. I couldn't remember if I. Um, is this sort of thing where there's sort of like, like, I call them Easter eggs, kind of like mm-hmm. a video game, for fans of other things um, that are sort of hidden in books. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like Elizabeth Ulberg. I don't know if that's how you say her name. I don't know either. In um, The Revenge of the Girl with a Great Personality, um, she has a character whose name is Taylor Riggins, who's a... <laughs> football player oh my god where did she get that I am completely oh my what she tweeted me and was like oh my god I love Friday Night Lights because we're making lists of authors who like Friday Night Lights and actually I got some of the cutest direct messages ever when I did the call out the call for authors who love Friday. Night Lights, <laughs> like, I'd love it if you'd include me on your list. I love F and L Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so I sweet. love it. Um, but she tweeted and was like, I love Friday Night Lights so much that I named my character in my latest book, Taylor Riggins, and he plays football and he's really hot. <laughs> it was really Does funny. Does he play
0: fullback?
1: I don't know what he, I think he
0: might play quarterback, but I, I could be wrong. That's not t- Tim Riggins. I know, I
1: know. But I'm just saying, I think that was what it Tim earned. Riggins
0: is the hard hitting fullback. I know
1: that, I know that, I know that. I could be, I'm not, I haven't read the book, I own the book. I, I, I haven't read it yet um but i i some i mean i'm a big
0: football in, fan fyi case,
1: yes, laura is a stickler for accuracy about football actually another podcast we should do is talking about um sports and authenticity because i have a lot of thoughts on that
0: yeah i'm working on a football list
1: oh are you yeah that's exciting i'm looking forward to it
0: so i have i mean i have the books that i want to put on the anyway So going back to relevance to our
1: podcast. Yeah, like, actually, poor Tim, or Lucky Tim, depending on your perspective, gets sort of written into books a lot, Um, but, like, Tim also is, um, was the sort of inspiration for Rusty and Jesse Jesse Kirby's In Honor, and um, you can definitely see that, Mm -hmm. Um, and... Then there's even little shout-outs to. I mean, Sarah Oakler does these wonderful little shout-outs shout to Friday Lights in all yeah. her books,
0: <laughs> and always the Friday Night Lights references in her book, yeah. which I love.
1: I think it's quite cute, and it makes me happy. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and so I, I think it's interesting when you you know add these little. Um,
0: this. Jesse Kirby is a huge Friday Night Lights fan, yes, as far as I know. I, um, we were all in a tizzy last night because Judy, Judy Bloom has
1: started. She publicly announced that she has started watching Friday Night
0: Lights, and all of these, like, Jesse Kirby, Sarah mm-hmm. Oakler, they were all on it. They yeah. were like, "Oh
1: my God, Judy, we're so excited!" I know. <laughs> and Actually, it's funny. I looked at the replies to huh? Judy. Yeah, I did too. And all these crazy people. <laughs> Like me, and like the usual suspects, like it's like Sarah Sarah Oakler, Heidi Kling, Jesse Kirby, all of the usual suspects are like, Oh my god! Have you cried yet? Stuff like, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, like bring tissues. Do you love Tim Briggins yet? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. But I also, I mean, I kind of. I mean, looked. is
0: that like a form of fan fiction, I, or I don't is that know like a that violation is. of Friday Night Live copyright? Well, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I, didn't, I didn't even really think about it know, until you brought it was that up, that but sort
1: of popped into my head probably because I got saw all those tweets about. Do Night <laughs> <heard> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know what it. You know, I don't know what that is. I actually kind of enjoy it usually. Yeah, sometimes I, don't. Sometimes I find it annoying. Um, but Tim Riggins is a really complex
0: character, so I can see the appeal yeah. in a book. Well,
1: and putting he's a, a sort character like character. him in a book, I know so. folks often, um, uh, you know, they sort of think like, Tim Riggins gets labeled as like. Like, you know, sort of the bad boy type, which we see a lot in books, like this sort of bad boy. With a harder
0: actu- goal. Yes,
1: but actually, Tim is a really unusual character because he's this sort of. And I was actually talking to Sarah Oakler about this, like last year. Of course,
0: you were. Go!
1: We had a fairly lengthy Twitter exchange about how Tim is really unusual because he's this sort of blue collar, love. And Tim doesn't, like, suddenly become like. Tim, in his story arc is he does, you know. There is a. Light at the end of the tunnel and Tim making his life better. But Tim doesn't suddenly become, like, a successful person. He doesn't, like, change because he, you know... he. I don't want to ruin Friday Night Lights for people who haven't watched it. Because of the person he ends up with at the end of the show. Like, yes. he doesn't suddenly... He doesn't become, like, a successful restaurateur. Right. At the end of the... Like, he stays this sort of, like, flawed... um blue collar sort of messed up character who's just trying to figure out a way to make the world work for him. Right. It's actually like a really unusual thing. Like that does not happen like in the sort of typical But bad I think boy that's movie.
0: realistic.
1: Right. But in the typical bad boy romantic story arc, he reforms. And it's yeah. not that Tim doesn't reform, but he doesn't sort of become But it's almost like in some ways he didn't need to be
0: reformed. He because need to there be were reformed. certain things about him that didn't need it at all. No, but usually you know? in
1: both, you know, in movies and TV and books, that character usually undergoes a rapid transformation. And right. at his core, Tim remains the same. Like, he basically just grows up. Right. And that, to me, is a more realistic and a more appealing storyline. You don't see that all that often. So I can see why, you know, Tim in particular is one that, you know, authors are so attracted to. Right. Because he... Because he doesn't follow that same sort of the the way that character always has to be. Yeah. And that's I, I really you know I really appreciate that. Or yeah. Like,
0: so I mean I can see why he's you know an inspiration for authors and their male characters, especially for YA. Yeah.
1: So because he is something different than what you usually see. So, right. You know I don't know what the the line is. I mean it's that's a hard one. And yeah. You know, and I think there's more. I mean, it's, you know, Tim is the one that sticks in my head, but I mean, I remember the reason, and I've ended up loving her books. There's, I read, first read a Molly O'Keefe book was because she, um, she had said in a USA Today interview on the Happy Ever After blog, which I really like, but it's really annoying because they don't have an RSS feed activated, so I don't read their blog <laughs> on a regular basis unless someone I follow on Twitter tweets that there's something interesting on there, because so I will F. not- FYI, please. To that crap.
0: Um, RSS, please. <laughs> so, you know how
1: many blogs I've unsubscribed, I've like quit checking because they've deactivated their RSS feeds because it's like a thing now to like increase your page views by turning off your RSS feed, and it's like I want. I am not in
0: favor pay. of that. Yeah, I am a big cool. fan of RSS.
1: So uh-huh. anyway, a little tangent, but I read an interview with her on the USA Today Happy Ever After blog, um, where she talked about how Tyra was, um, you know, she Molly loves right at lights. And she talked about how Tyra had inspired her, um, writing of the main female character in Can't Buy Me Love, and I was like, oh my goodness, like, no one ever writes a book with a Tyra-type character. Like, Tyra is a tough character, and she has a tough story arc, and Tyra makes decisions that do not necessarily make you like her. Right. And Tyra is kind of a little bit ruthless. And, like, I love Tyra. Like, I think she's a really realistic character. Yeah. And um, so, obviously, I had to read that book. And that was one of the things that was appealing to me is that, like, I sort of, my brain was like, ah, I know what sort of character is going to be in this book, and this makes me really excited. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I I kind of like that stuff, but I do sometimes wonder when I see something that's... um, Really, a kind of little the, where the
0: inspiration is very obvious. It's
1: very obvious, which it wasn't in Molly. Like in Molly's book, it totally was like a character type. It was like a sort of an arch as an archetype. Yeah, um, but there have been other instances where I felt like it was. Yeah. So is I it an archetype
0: sure. or is, is it the character? Right. And is it okay to do that? And where do you? It's kind of like the trope question. Like yeah. when does it become an archetype, and when is it? you know something else uh kind of yeah something taken from something else specifically you know what i mean i i don't know the answer yeah, i'm you know these are just, just questions we're found yeah, around yeah it's a so. lot of
1: the purpose of doing this regular podcast is because we started talking about this and we actually had a lot more questions usually we kind of have like when we discuss new adults yeah. we have a lot of answers like yeah. hey, this is what we would like to see yeah with this particular thing it's like We don't know. Yeah. We would like to know more. And there's a lot of I think questions about Uh, what what
0: You know, I mean because derivatives are out there. Yeah, there are we've all read them. We all all are like, oh, I would love to see this modern day, you know.
1: Um you know what I I mean I I still wanna see like a you know, an adult spy novel type series that is kind of like alias. Like I don't necessarily want to read Alias fan fiction.
0: Right. Actually, I
1: don't want to read Alias fan fiction. <laughs> Not necessarily about it. Um, but I would love it if someone explored that sort of, you know, kick-assy female spy type. You know, I love that crap. I love action right. movies and that sort of thing. And you know, something along those lines. And I mean, I, you know, where is that sort of like? You know, if someone were to write that, where would they be saying, like, Oh, I would like to explore this type of dynamic and right. sort of set up. And where is it that? And where is it, you know, something that we're maybe not comfortable with? And right. Like, seriously, if someone, if someone please, I'm, like, begging the microphone right now. <laughs> so please write those books for me. <laughs> for, like, a nice series, like, you know... Three books or so. Yeah. Like, don't go, like, the never-ending series problem. Yeah. But, you know, three books or so would be great. I'd really like that, you know.
0: Or if anyone knows that it's out there and we just are yeah, not aware of, of it. someone suggested to
1: me, like, the alias books, and that's not what I want. Oh. someone wrote books, like, there's, like, prequels to alias. Oh, okay. And that's not what I want. I want that, sort of. And I want, like, real, like, sort of, like, you know, how Jennifer Garner's character was, like, really, like, badass Yeah, I want someone badass. Like I don't want, you know, some wimpy ass person. Yeah, just throwing that out there. No (laughs) fan fiction. Similar type of setup. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I'm using this like my personal sounding board to like beg for like (laughs) suggestions. (laughs) I'm awful. Anyway, so we would love to know what you guys think about this
0: thing. Like, is Pride and Prejudice a regency trope at this point, or are all new Pride and Prejudice things just simply retellings? Are they of retellings
1: Pride and, of Pride and Prejudice? What's are the difference? They, yeah, are you know how do you feel? Like, what's the line between you know
0: inspiration, inspiration and copycat, and
1: copycat and fan fiction? And like, how do you all feel about this pulled to publish thing of the fan fiction world? I mean, that's. That's where I think there's a lot more of the controversy. There's a the controversy and a lot more sort of up and arm stuff. But I think some of the But same you see it in historical things. You know, they've well. written
0: sequels. I mean, there's sequels to Pride and Prejudice that are There are like there. the
1: sexified Pride and Prejudice. Like, yeah, how do you feel there's about the Gone
0: with the Wind sequel, you know. Oh, this, i
1: forgot about the Gone with the
0: Wind sequel. Yeah. Um, Which I don't know if. I feel like that was a bit controversial. It was a bit
1: controversial.
0: But I don't um, know if it's because people didn't like it.
1: I think it might have been that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm
0: not really sure. Like, and why, Do you know, do people feel like those things shouldn't happen? Or are they okay under certain circumstances? And what are those circumstances? Yeah. I'm really curious about how people feel about this, you yes, know?
1: I would love to know this as well because it's, it's... They're complicated. I mean, there's legal issues. Yeah, and I don't think any of us can really, unless we, there happens to be like a copyright attorney who's listening to this. <laughs> and if so, you know, we would be you real. On we to would like a totally value you your yeah. opinions. so the um, sequel of this because I I think they're interesting questions, and I think with the internet, there's has changed this dynamic quite a bit. I think and so too. And as, you know, as publishers are clearly actively seeking this type of work as well... And just the way it's more public that
0: fan fiction is becoming published, you know, there are it, more in the public eye now than I think yeah. it used this any sort of this thing would have used to have been. Yeah, you know I, mean, what I mean, I don't think so. I even really
1: knew about, like, I knew fan fiction was a thing, but I don't think I really was as aware of its expansiveness until actually the big Fifty Shades of Grey controversy to be honest like I'm and I'm sure I'm yeah and then there's
0: also the Cassandra Clare controversy the Cassandra Clare
1: controversy and um that that kind of thing and I know there's a big hullabaloo over the beautiful bastard thing I don't know that Two fan fiction authors wrote a book. It's Twilight Fan Fiction. Oh, okay. It got pulled to publish, and I know there was a huge, when that happened at the end of last year, there was a huge uproar in the fan fiction community yeah. about that as well. Like, is it because um, you don't
0: like people trying to change what you right. loved about the like, original book, or, or is it that you it don't like think a, they should be profiting, or what, what, is, what is, is the issue? You know, we I'm really curious them. about all of these things, you know, because no. I don't have any answers, so. No, I don't either, so. Anyway. Anybody have answers? Weigh in, please. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... I think not, we should probably wrap it I up. I think we should wrap up. Not sure what we're going to talk about next time, so...
0: But we've got ideas. We've and got to, if there's anything that you guys want us to talk about, please let us know.
1: Or if there's anyone you'd like us to talk to, because we do have the technology to talk to other people. Yeah, if anyone
0: wants night. to join in, it would be awesome. So, yeah.
1: So, anyway, till next time... Please weigh in in the comments, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, clear eyes, full shelves, can't lose.